Hello and welcome back to We Not Me, the podcast where we explore how humans connect to get stuff done together. I'm Dan Hammond. And I am Pia Lee. Dan Hammond, I'm going to ask you a question. How happy are you today? That is actually a trickier question than how are you today, I must say. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy today. I'm happy today. And of course, it's the theme of today's show, isn't it? It's almost a, a sort of, sort of, obviously a really important thing, obviously almost the thing people strive for most at the top of that tree really is happiness but actually uh quite a difficult thing to to get a handle on but that's what we're talking about today which would be really really useful i think for teams happiness now can be like lots of things get data attached to it and then we can actually really start to see some interesting parallels we looked at the data set of squadify nearly 3000 teams and we looked at the question about happiness at work from an importance and a presence. And there were some interesting findings, weren't there? It was surprising, really, because this is through the pandemic and through the move to virtual to, to work from anywhere. So, um, But despite that, happiness itself, happiness at work, the presence of it actually stayed pretty much flat. What surprised us, though, initially was that the importance of happiness had risen. So people are valuing it more, which is fascinating. But what, of course, this is doing is creating a, what you might call a happiness gap. So people's expectations of happiness uh, versus reality is um, is widening, which, of course, you, you know, we don't know this, but you could potentially link that to this great uh, great resignation and the um, the shift away from organizations that aren't, giving, aren't meeting those expectations. So who better than to bring along Matt Phelan from the Happiness Index to give us the science behind this. So rather than just a, a bit of a blurry topic, actually help us unpick what are the key tenets of happiness and why is it so critically important today. So let's, I want to get in there. I'm, I'm going to be happier in the show. It's going to definitely get in there. Matt, a warm, warm welcome to We Not Me. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I've, uh, I've, I've been for a run. I've had my coffee. So we're, I'm all set and looking forward to this, this cards and all the stuff we're going to talk about today. Excellent, excellent. Well, you, you're always energetic. So uh, with a run and a coffee um, behind you, I think this is going to be a really good, uh, good, good conversation. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, Matt, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, so I, I started working with um, animals before I started working with human beings. That's always my starting point. I don't know if, 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 if you've got pet. You, how long have we got? Pierre has a, has a menagerie. So okay. currently we have uh, two, two dogs, a cat, two alpacas and four ducks. Okay. Well, that, that I'm going to ask you a question, Pierre, which I'm not going to ask you to answer live. But would you say... The animals in your menagerie are a better communicator than Dan or not. <laughs> well, it's quite interesting. It wasn't meant to go like this. No, no. One of the alpacas really looks like Dan. He's, he's got a slightly gingery mop. And I just feel like there's a little bit of him in my paddock, you know, there, just, just standing there in the rain. So, yeah, you know, sometimes he doesn't say as much as Dan, but, you know, it's strong. It's a strong communication. And I take that as a as a compliment. Yeah, and, the, and you should, Dan, because my my whole theory is that human be that animals are better communicators than human beings, and and the reason I believe that 
is because I believe that that we overcomplicate communications through language, which is ironic because we're on a podcast. <laughs> but I would say the alpaca version of Dan is possibly better at sharing their emotions than the Dan that we have here today. So I, again, I haven't met this alpaca, and, and maybe I will do one day. But that's my starting point for everything. I always try and understand why human beings are so bad at sharing their emotions. I'm sure you're right, to be perfectly honest with you. So, so you started there, Matt. What, what, where did you go from there? And what, um, yeah, where, where, where did you head on? So I then, I, I studied marketing um, and geography. I studied geography because I enjoyed geography and I studied marketing because I thought, oh, I probably can't get a job in geography. So even though that was something I really enjoyed, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll study marketing. And, and my first few jobs were in marketing. And I worked for a company that got acquired by the Guardian newspaper which was quite cool because I got to go and work there. But then I got my sort of dream job, which I thought was my dream job, but the culture was terrible. And I sort of knew that on day one. And I, and I, and I left. Um, I resigned in my uh, probation, my three-month probation meeting, which I don't know, then maybe they were going to find me anyway. But um, I just couldn't handle it there. And I decided to start my own digital marketing agency which was about three months before the financial crisis in 2008. Yeah, it feels like really bad timing, but anyone who's just been through the pandemic and as we emerge out of it, anytime there's a big a big change, like all the marbles are chucked up in the air uh, and, and the horrific stuff happens in these events. So I'm, I'm not downplaying that, but the goalposts and everything can move. And, and if you're looking to start something, it creates like a new, a new game um, and it, and, so although it's, it can feel like a horrific time to start something, when there's big change in the world, that opportunity, that can, there mm. can be opportunity. Um, and that's not to downplay the horrific things that happen in all these events. But that we started our um, digital marketing agency and we had this saying that um, customers don't come first. So we used to say employees come first. Uh, if we look after our employees, they'll look after our customers. and we look after our customers, we'll make loads of money. That was, but that was the basis of it in 2008. And that went well, and we sort of built that company up and sold it. But as we were building it up, we were a data company. We were tracking how all our marketing was working, but we weren't actually tracking whether our thing that we said actually worked. Like, if you look after your employees, does it actually make your customers happier? Because it sounds okay in theory, doesn't it? It sounds like something you'd read on a, on a slogan. I think we took it from a Richard Branson quote. Yeah, but, it's a Branson thing, as I think, yeah. Yeah. I think that's where it originally came from, and we adapted it for a, a digital marketing agency. But that's why that's how we invented the happiness index. We just wanted to track how the, the happiness of our employees and the happiness of customers. And we we didn't even know what correlation and causation was at this point. We just wanted to see if they looked like the same thing on the graph. Like if one went up, did the other go up? And and that's all it was. That's all the happiness index was set out to do. We sold that company and then we reinvested all our time and energy and money in, into the happiness index. So that, that's how it goes from animals through to happiness. I have to ask you, do you have any animals? Well, I live in London and I have a little kitten on the way. So at the moment I don't, <laughs> but I will in them. I have a real strong, I have a real strong love of animals, but I also, I really struggle with people that, have animals that don't have the time or the the area to look after them, and and, and uh, I know that they don't want to start on a downbeat. Some, but sometimes I meet people and they say they're an animal lover, and I think, wow, I know 
how is it how much of this is about how much you need the animal versus the way that you're looking after it so I haven't felt in London that I could look after an animal, even though I do love animals. And we've and we've got our first kitten on the way. <laughs> so we're starting small. But I think for me, you have to be, you really have to, you can call yourself an animal lover, but you really need to be prepared to look after an animal. So uh, tell tell us a bit more about the happiness index. So, so what does what does your organisation do? What What's it trying to achieve? So if we go back to the, the industry for a second, the, the term employee engagement, was was coined by someone called Bill Kahn in 1990. And employee engagement was originally called personal engagement. And it was supposed to include, in the definition, things called emotions. But if you fast forward from Bill Kahn, so Bill Kahn um, was at Boston University. If you fast forward a few years later into the mid-90s, some of the universities that were teaching and some of the big um, consultancy firms that were starting to adopt employee engagement and sell it as a thing, probably turning it into every four box quadrant you can imagine. Somewhere along the line, emotions got dropped out of what employee engagement meant. So the happiness index is all about bringing emotions back into employee engagement. And, and that's, that's um, the happiness index measures that. So the reason I always say that is we don't like to get like, typecast as an employee engagement platform, even though we measure employee engagement and we measure employee happiness, um, this, the emotional part that is really important to us. Um, and it goes right back to the, the whole animals thing and the damn the alpaca and so on. But that for us is a really important thing, um, about what we do. It makes really good sense. And I think we're going to explore a little bit, Matt, how this plays out. But I'm going to ask you one of these card questions first. You've mm. shared quite a bit about yourself. And uh, it's admirable that you started with a kitten and you'll end up with a, an alpaca in your London <laughs> property. But I'm going I'm to pick, pick one of these conversation starter cards just to see if we can get to know you a little bit yeah. even more about you. So um, oh, here, here's a good one. It's a red one. They have different um, colors. This is a more tricky one. If I was arrested with no explanation, my family and friends, would assume it was for um it would definitely be to do something to do with the train companies because i almost got arrested by the train companies getting away or the police turned up there they would assume that i'd been stubborn in an event and i was holding my ground and they'd be like oh no what's happened now who is he where is he standing and refusing to move <laughs> oh i love it arrested for stubbornness that's yeah, brilliant it's, it, it, my family, it's, it's a real it must be in the genes somewhere but it's a real any kind of like unfairness type thing it, it, it right it just, yeah and you're you, gonna make us take a stand yeah for no even for the, the smallest thing and you think this, this is completely pointless but it just it runs through the family Brilliant, brilliant answer. So, uh, Matt, take, so t let's pick up that conversation again around around happiness, and um, let's go into these small groups we call teams. So, um, yeah, what have you learned about what makes makes people makes these teams tick from your work? Yeah. So, for those that have read my book and and and, and got the stuff that's about been about for the last couple of years, the re relationships is the number one driver of happiness. Okay. So relationships involves teams. You guys talk about teams. Some people talk about communities. Some people talk about whatever, a, a collective group of people. And um, the thing that drives us individual employee happiness is relationships. So obviously that is hugely impacted to teams, right? Uh, because you can't get that from yourself. You need that. That is part of the connection of the people around you. 
So two points that I was really excited about sharing with you, Dan and Pia, is firstly, you can't build a relationship. So I'm only going to share two data points. These are not my opinions. This is just what we see in the data. Firstly, you can't share, um, you can't build a relationship unless you share emotions. You can build a relationship without sharing emotions, but how real will that relationship be? Because you may be holding back stuff that you think, oh, this person doesn't want to see that side of me. And you're filtering the view of yourself. So you may build a relationship, but is it what people call an authentic relationship. So I want to, that what I'm doing there is taking a step back is that the source of relationships is emotions and the source of happiness is relationships. So the, why I want to share that with you, anyone who's listening on a team's perspective, and it, again, this is not my opinion, I'm just sharing that if I, if I was looking at a team that didn't share emotions, I would be thinking about the whole data connection. I would think, well, if they're not sharing emotions, they won't be building relationships. If they're not building relationships, they won't be as happy at work as they would be. If I extend it forward into our research, that means that they're not going to be performing as high as they could, which means the company or the organization might not be achieving its real um, success. So that could be financial metrics that could be a team a sports team achieving their goals so that is really juicy that's really juicy and it, it really resonated with me actually a few times when i'm working with teams and we're using squadify data to help them to look at their teamwork there's you've really summarized it but i've had this challenge where there are and we've talked about this haven't we Peter? they've got some sort of corporate they've got armor up it's really hard to sort of penetrate that armor um, to get them to express more. Actually, and you've really simplified that, that are they, is that team sharing emotions with each other? And, and I think that's a, re a really good test and probably presumably practically where you can go to start to build that relationship into something that's more authentic. If relationships are the number one driver of happiness and even 50% of relationships end up in divorce at home, do we really know how to relate in order to be happy? Yeah, I think, I mean, I was reading an article on Sunday about, it was from someone who'd, I think they'd spent 30 years speaking to couples, um, they, they like lead couples therapy. And the, the bit that I really remember from it is they were saying one thing that people in couples do all the time, if someone shares that they're anxious or worried, the other one tends to say, oh, don't worry, there's nothing to worry about. And what, um, what, I took, what, they were, what they were saying is, if you do that, you don't share the anxiousness, the anxiety or the worry. You just push it back into that person so it doesn't, as an energy source, it doesn't leave them. Whereas if you say something like, oh, that, that, must, be really, that must be really tough, can I help? My data version of what the way I read it, interpreted it, is that that takes out half the anxiety and worry, and then you share it. Whereas if you just push it back by saying, "Oh, don't worry," you're just dismissing what that person's feeling. So I think I know I need to keep my work is specifically in the in the workforce, and that's where my research comes from. So I just want to caveat that. But I did find that find that a super interesting piece of insight. This is such a powerful thing, and I, I was. It was about five years ago, I was at a conference and a speaker talked about this 
uh, about parenting actually and said the same thing that when you you know a child comes home from school how you do i'm really sad because so and so hit me what we do is or whatever we tend to say oh don't be sad and we negate our children's emotions which of course has all manner of on you know as you say shoves it back into them causes them to have a poor relationship with those more sort of traditionally known as negative emotions there's nothing wrong with being sad actually um so but the, the, the problem for me was i had at that time I had a 14 and a 16 year old so i realized i've been stuffing up uh, all of that too, but, uh, too late too, too late. late too late yeah exactly but i've made amends since then so i'm now really conscious of that but that's, anyway that's really interesting to to um that the same thing came up in those uh, those relationships but i suppose the point is then if we find it difficult to relate and then you think about teams in the workplace we don't have the muscle power to have the right conversation and then we don't feel entirely happy and then we just blame other people for it yeah so it's a it's a cyclical thing isn't it you know whereas it's about our own ability to be able to relate yeah and that's why i always remind people we're not called the high happiness index we're just called the happiness index the point of an index is it goes up and down and the learning and and where you can improve things for the future is in the drops. And the one of the other things we've observed in our data, um, which we did in the TED Talk, was happiness is, is effectively something that you need to practice. Well, long story short, if you look at a data, if you look at someone's happiness data, every time it goes up, it goes down. Every time it goes up, it goes down. Every time it goes up, it goes down. So when you look at that, you think, oh, mate, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of focusing on improving happiness if every time it goes up, it goes down? But what you see, what's really interesting is if you practice sharing emotions and so on and all the things that we talk about like relationships, the more it goes up, the less it goes down. The more it goes up, the less it goes down. So the only way that I can explain that to people is like your heartbeat and a healthy heartbeat, which is if you do all the right things like exercise more, eat the right food, your, your heartbeat um, just becomes stronger. And you can, and you say so your resting heartbeat, you, they say it a lot of le- athletes, doesn't it, where their resting heartbeat is. So when I realized that, that's what I suddenly realized is you're learning from the downs so that um, you can have less downs in the future. But if you just ignore them, miss them, you're, you're missing out on what we would say is a data point. Like I just look at all emotions now as data points rather than thinking, oh God, I don't, know, I don't have time to listen to this. I think, oh, there's a data point coming on my way here. I don't want to miss out on this data point, which is a really good way I look at it, the way I look at it. But that's what I, I say. I say to myself, I was, I'm going to learn something here, and if I switch off and dismiss it, I'm missing out on an opportunity to learn. Whether that's my own body and my own brain speaking to me, one of my team, my partner, or my children. These are two really useful data points. The first one you made there was a real flow from emotions will build relationships relationships will build happiness and you mentioned happiness will build performance yeah. what's that last link just talk to us about that for any hard-headed uh people uh, listeners who who just want to, to some sort of proof of that yeah so i mean that that really dan is why i wrote the book the business case for happiness for those people because some people intuitively just think you know what it's good to look after your people and they'll be happier. They don't need more than that. I don't need more than that. <laughs> but not everyone's like that. No. Um, I want the hard metrics. Um, and let's not typecast a CFO, yeah. but quite often it's a CFO. 
um, that's asking that. But that's their job. <laughs> that's their job to say, yeah. oh, so you're about to bring in these 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 hippies called the Hackness Index. Like, what's the return going to be? So I'll point you to the longest study in this area, which is 28-year study by Professor Alex Edmonds. And they took American stock market data and they showed that companies with happier employees outperform those with less happier employees. The minimum increase was about 2.4 per year in share price and um, going up to something like 3.2, 3.5. It's all in my book if you want to check the study. But effectively, if you were just looking at where to invest your money, you would be looking for companies that treat their employees well and have happier employees. So that, that that's not just like a one, two, three, that's 28 years of stock market data that, uh, that companies with the happier employees outperform those of their peers. The interesting thing in there that I found interesting in, the, in, that, in that study is it doesn't change via vertical or sector. So sometimes people think, oh, maybe retail is more important for employee happiness because, oh, you see the staff face-to-face compared to maybe a steel company where everyone's behind the scenes. The flow-through of happiness to, to share price and financial performance is, is the same in every industry. And it's hard for people to get their heads around that. But again, I'm, all I'm here to do is not give you my opinion because I've given you my private opinion. It's all about animals and all that kind of stuff, which is all right. <laughs> this, is just, this is just the data that we're seeing and, and bringing together. So Matt, from all the work you've done, if we think about these little mysterious groups called teams, what is, what's the big message for, for our listener? So let's recap what we've learned so far. So one, we've got emotions as a source of relationships. We've got the importance of, of using happiness as a data point and the fact that you need to practice it. What I'm about to share with you now is what we've seen in over 100 countries um, in over a, a, about a million human beings. And all I can share with you is what we're observing. Everyone needs to interpret it in their own way. But what we're starting to see more and more is that happiness in its simplest version is a team sport. And let me describe what we see in the data is the only way I can describe again using nature, because we like to use nature to describe our data, because guess what? Human beings are part of nature. Is that happiness uh, works like homeostasis. So homeostasis is obviously something that brings you back to a certain set point. So we've heard before other happiness experts talk about happiness set point. So someone has like a certain level of car and then they go and buy a car they think that's going to make them happy and you just return to your set point. That's what's nice. But the new stuff we've learned is that you actually at work return to the team's happiness. So that's massive because if you're in a team of 10 people and the average happiness is eight, and you are a four, and you join that team, the most likely thing to happen is you will go up towards the team's happiness. But you also need to seriously consider this the other way around, which is what if you're a happiness on average, but you join a team where everyone's a four? Now, the reason I want to share this is it's, it's what we're observing. It's huge. But also, for people's mental health and well-being, they really need to be asking questions before they join an organization or a team about the culture and saying things like, if I was interviewed tomorrow for a job, I would ask the person interviewing me, how happy are you? 
how happy is your team and how happy is the company? And I would listen to them and I would also ask them to evidence it. And if any of those questions made them feel uncomfortable or they thought I was out of order for asking those questions, I would also learn as much as I could from the date because I would, I would understand that they're not taking this stuff seriously because you, by now that you know that everyone who's listening on this podcast that knows that, that the happiness of a team could impact your own well-being, mental health, and happiness. And yet, it's not surprising because Dan and I are working with teams day in, day out, and this is what we see. And what what is also interesting is that I guess there's a scale here, and then there's really happy, and then there's sort of mediocre. And there's a lot of people that are pulled down from actually being quite happy to being mediocre without themselves even realizing it. And all of a sudden they're thinking, God, this doesn't feel great, but it's been a slow burn over a period of time. I don't know whether you're seeing that in the data. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's a level of conformity, isn't it? And it can be subconscious that that's happening. The problem is, if you think of teams as a, a Venn diagram and you think of your work team as one circle, then you think as your family, if you call your family a team for a second, and then you call your friends, that could also be impacting that because your f home team might just be you, the alpaca, and, um, and, and your sister. So it's going to impact the rest of li life. So again, I always say like we're collecting this data at work but we've collected this data about human beings. So it's not a great leap to think about how this is impacting the rest of your life. So again, I'm just, why I think it's powerful is it, you guys have already observed that, but now we're observing it across a million people. So it goes from Dan and Pierre going, oh, we're seeing this to, no, this is, this is here now. This is, this is what we're seeing um, on a regular basis, which is just, it stops that like argument about how important stuff is because you're just like, it's just there. It's just like people say that you should have good sunlight in the office. Now you should be looking at how you're uh, looking at team happiness. It's incredibly powerful, Matt. Yeah, it's back. It's intuitive, but the data makes it really urgent actually to deal with this. So in your experience, what if the team is feeling like it's either got poor happiness or even happy people are being brought down, but they're, they're not, or it's just a, sort of that sort of mere level of happiness. What can a team do practically to start to move that upwards? So I'll take, again, I've shared one of you, uh, I've, I've shared you the number one driver of happiness, which is relationships. But I'm, I'm going to share with you the fourth point, which I think is the starting point. So it's in the top four. So it's, if you were doing a league table, relationships would be number one. I'm going to share with you number four, which is psychological safety. So people always want to know where to start. And I always think Maslow's hierarchy of needs is we all love it, but it's slightly out of date. doesn't mean it's not useful because it's a good connection point for people to talk. But I always think psychological safety is the starting point because that's where people don't share. We've just had in the last couple of weeks the first footballer to be openly gay. And it's like I've played in football environments where homophobia is rife and toxic masculinity runs wild. You can't go to a football match without hearing it. It's why I take my children to watch Tottenham women rather than Tottenham men. But, I mean, 
now we know all that stuff about psychological safety, relationships, forming fake relationships. If you, as an example, have spent your whole career as a footballer as gay, but not been able to tell your team and your colleague, how much has that impacted? We don't know. Um, but that comes from a psychological safe perspective because it, and it may in that scenario not, might not be the teams. It might be the, it, it may be the crowd that people are worried about and the reaction and so on. But I bring that example out just to say psychological safety, I think is always the point because that is a hugely normal human thing to be, but that per, that we've only just now in 2022 had a footballer feel that um, they can say that they're gay whilst they're still playing rather than waiting to retire. It draws it all nicely together because you need to have that trust and that safety to be able to feel able to be yourself in order to be able to relate to each other, in order to be able to share your emotions. you know. And yet strong personal connections, which is key to all that, is actually one of the lowest importance in a Squadify score. We still think that it's somehow not appropriate in the workplace to bring our full selves to work. It's, it, it, and actually, somehow we've ended up tying ourselves in knots because I don't think anyone's made that mandate. <laughs> but somehow that's just a belief that we are on. And it's costing us. It's costing us hugely. And your data just completely supports that. Yeah. And my image to leave everyone with, I, I call what Dan called the Alma. I call it everyone's super happiness suit with inbuilt emotional deflector field. I am very happy, which is something that we all wear. It's not like there's an evil villain boss that is doing this. Everyone's doing it and we're all part of it. We're all deflecting the odd question about how we really feel. We're all part of it, but we can all together get rid of these, these suits. They're not needed, um, but it takes time and, and every day there's a there's a step forward, but I think the data reinforces how important it is for us for us to be ourselves and sh- share how we truly feel. It's a brilliant vision, Matt, and um, and I think a, a real yeah a, a very clear mandate for teams everywhere to do something a little bit different today. So thank you for sharing your humanity and your data with us today, and uh, we want to wish you the very best of luck. You're on an amazing mission to humanize the workplace and make us all a bit happier so thank you so much matt for joining us today and if you want to come and pat one of my alpacas you're very welcome to come over (laughs) absolutely (laughs) i think we've got a very early insight into some pretty astounding data research there around relationships so relationships are the number one driver of happiness so you know, we're seeking to find a mate in life and to be happy. I can understand it from that perspective. But I'm wondering how important people see their team and the relationships they have in their team. And I question that. And and this, to me, has really solidified it. And and you mentioned to Matt that data around the important the way we see the importance of personal connections in teams is really is the lowest of of any metric that we have and um that just says we've got a problem actually of expectations and the realization that that our happiness is going to be derived from the relationships we have with our with our own team and that bit of data he shared the new data around that set point 
you know the you know the, the it reminded me of he mentioned it but you know you, you people win the pools or the, the the lottery or whatever and they um they get happier and then it drops back down to that old set point or people have you know literally and there's a lot of research on this people have a limb amputated or and it, they their happiness drops down but they come back up to that same level of happiness and it's it, that's the sort of model i have in my mind of this with teams you put a happy person into an unhappy team and they are going to be brought down to to that set point and so it's a it's an absolute matter of urgency for teams to engage with this and to build those relationships and how do you do that we learned from that you express your emotions i thought that was in a way a really potentially simple potentially hard but a, a really good test of whether th- those relationships are being built and you know you and i have witnessed that together professionally working with teams when one person has taken a step out to change the chemistry of the conversation by actually being incredibly authentic and courageous to go, I'm not happy about this or this makes me feel, really owning it. And it changes everything. It changes everything because it's extremely unlikely that the rest of the team is going to go, well, we don't care. They're going to go, gosh, <laughs> help us understand what is that. Or, yes, me too. Actually, I don't, I don't feel that good either. So that, th- this just ratifies the, the lived experience we have professionally working with teams and seeing where people are at. And, and this is the science that's going to help us. Completely. So if anyone's out there and they want to make a make a difference what we've seen really make that difference is to express an emotion and to really see if you can start to open that up hard sometimes in those tricky team environments but it can be done so a wonderful episode and uh, just great to talk to Matt huge huge really really clear simple but incredibly insightful so what's next then where do we where do we build from here well in a way we've got a good little segue because for next week we're talking to Kathleen Curran who we've known a very long time from leadership development world and she has taken actually the Squadify dataset and she's done a big bit of analysis and looked at what she calls regenerative leadership in teams and so she's given some good really solid guidance on areas for teams to focus on to really make a difference. So can't wait to talk to Kathleen about that. Um, But that's it for this episode. You can find show notes and resources at squadify.net. Just click on the We Not Me podcast link. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share the love and recommend it to your friends. Also, do give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. You can actually contribute to this show by leaving us a voice note with a question or a comment. Just find the link in the show notes. We Not Me is produced by Mark Stedman of Origin. Thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye.